We want to uh, think about how it would look or what it might look like for you uh, to actually say yes to God and what he's calling you to do if that includes moving to another place, being involved in international missions or North American church planting. My name is Scott Hilberth. I'm the director of our mission center on our camps. I'm also a professor of missions here. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to introduce you to a couple friends of mine. Uh, who have been spending the better part of the last 20 years, not just living overseas, but working with uh, young men and young women uh, to talk about what is it like to live in a foreign country? Uh, What's it like to move, to tell your parents that you feel like God's calling you to do something that breaks free from the the American dream? Uh, What are some of the difficulties or perhaps some of the fun things that deal with living overseas? We want to do this a little bit differently. We're going to have a conversation between a couple of us up here We want to invite you to be part of the conversation as well. The way that we want you to do that is we're going to ask you to take out your phone or to take out your iPad and to go to a website. The website is going to be posted right behind me here, slido.com. Okay, so you go ahead and take a few minutes, take out your phone, uh, take out your iPad. You can't do this if you're using a molar skin and a pencil. But uh, if you've got electronics, go to slido.com. There'll be a place that you can type in there the code word, hashtag, I am going. And then you want to select continue. This will take you to a special page. And on that page throughout the next hour or so, it'll give you a chance to participate in a poll that we're taking. It'll also give you a chance to ask some questions. You can follow along with other questions that people are asking. And if you're thinking, hey, I want to ask that question too. You just like that question. It'll move it up to the top of the list and we'll try to address your questions as well. So take a few minutes and and go there. And I want to invite our panelists up here, our conversation partners. First of all, I want to invite my best friend in the whole entire world uh, on stage. This is my wife, Leslie. So y'all give her a big hand. Leslie is currently the director of women's discipleship at the Summit Church. She was uh, just recently uh, taken that job for many years. She was here on our campus as the assistant director of women's life. Leslie and I lived overseas uh, for almost 10 years uh, in different types of ministry and uh, different types of activity. We've been in this back in the States almost 10 years. Leslie's worked very hard to work with young ladies uh, to help prepare them for mission, prepare them for overseas and international uh, missions as well as domestic missions. I want to invite also another great friend of mine, Dr. Bruce Ashford, to the stage. You'll give him a big hand. Dr. Ashford uh, has spent the last several years uh, as, our, as our graduate uh, provost or the provost on our campus. Before that, he was the director of our mission center. He spent many years overseas. Dr. Ashford as well has spent many years uh, training and working with young people, uh, traveling around the world to help give preparation uh, for, for training overseas. And so what we're going to do is the three of us want to just have a casual conversation about life on mission. What does it look like to actually be out there and do it? Many of you have been challenged and compelled through this, uh, through this conference. Maybe God's calling you overseas. Maybe God's calling you to be part of a North American mission plant. What we want you to do here is to just to listen for a minute and participate in the conversation about some practical aspects. Now, there's a poll you'll find on Slido asking the question of what do you think the most difficult part of life on the mission field is? And we want to ask you uh, to, uh, to go ahead and vote, take some time. But before you do or as you're doing that, I want to ask the panel. 
What do you guys think? If you were to have to ask the question, what's the most difficult thing about living overseas, the most difficult thing about uh, being on mission? How would you answer that question? I think the hardest thing is to deny yourself daily. Let me say that again. Deny yourself, and the key word is daily. Because I see two typical things that happen when we don't do that on a regular basis overseas. The first is we tend to depend on ourselves, our own abilities, our own training, our own experiences, and in our own power, we try to do those things. And we forget to depend on God for everything. The second thing that happens is when we don't deny ourselves daily, we allow the things of our fleshly desires to consume us. What I mean by that is we focus on the things that we're missing, right? We get overseas and we immediately want the church community and the small group we left back home. We miss our friends and family. We want better convenience when it comes to our new housing, our new transportation systems, the new foods that are available to us, and we are just consumed with the things that we want. And we totally lose our focus. And so I think, for me, I think the hardest thing is to deny yourself daily. Bruce, what do you think about that? So there are multiple ways to answer this. Sure. I think to give context here, I am from Sampson County, North Carolina. Yeehaw. In Marka. <laughs> and uh, I'd never been out of the country before. <clears throat> so I grew up in a town of about 800 people and worked on a farm. And uh, so I was not a, an urbane, cosmopolitan type of a guy, but I was headed over to a very large city full of uh, Muslim population, mm -hmm. predominantly Muslim and uh, atheist population in Central Asia. And so there were two things that were really tough for me. One is language learning. Hmm. I didn't speak multiple languages. I don't like language learning. It's very important. And this is a way of denying yourself daily to force yourself to do something that you wouldn't ordinarily want to do because of its value. But I'd say the second thing, um, if I were ranking them, it's actually very difficult to teach the Bible to hmm. folks who every time you utter a word, understand that word different, differently than the way you intend it. <clears throat> so I'm in a room full of Muslims. When I say God, they think something entirely different mm. than what I mean. When I say salvation, when I say sin, when I say Jesus, they think something entirely different. Uh, when, when I say Trinity, the word Trinity, they think that the Trinity was God the Father and God Mary, and mm. they had sex mm. and had Jesus. So in communicating, I had to learn to teach them the whole narrative, the whole story of the Bible. Sure so that they can understand the meaning of my words. Sure. Now, the interesting thing is we, gave the, we just did a poll of our audience here. We gave them some preset answers. Why don't you okay. turn around and look here. This is what uh, everyone else says. This is the most difficult, they would assume this is the most difficult part about being a missionary. Bruce, you'll, you'll appreciate that about 20, 25% of them agree with you. Learning foreign languages okay. more. I think you must have just voted. It went up one more point. But leaving family and friends, what do you yeah. think? I mean, I, I, I would just agree with that. I mean, my, yeah. you know, my mom was uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, a mission friends teacher in a Southern Baptist church. Mm -hmm. And she told me when I went to her and said, Mom, we've, you know, less than I feel like God's calling us overseas. She started crying. She'd spent her whole time in church, you know, teaching little boys and girls mm -hmm. about the importance of being missionaries. And she said, I always prayed God send any of these little kids except that one right there overseas. So what do you think? I mean, you guys, we've left family members behind. We yeah. often over the years have 
um, helped our students when it comes to dealing with this issue. Clearly, this is the felt need, the pressing need that some of these guys who perhaps feel God's leading them overseas. How would you, how do we think about what it's like to leave a family and friends behind and go to a different place? Why don't you start us off, Leslie? My <laughs> answer is going to be odd. It is difficult. I mean, we can't, we can't undermine that. It's very difficult. I think the key is to think of creative and intentional ways to keep in touch, but you have to make sure that it's in a healthy balance. Um, and that's very difficult. There's not a set formula for it, and I think that's why a lot of people struggle with it. Um, everybody's families and dynamics are different. I know for some people, especially if they're leaving family members that don't know Christ themselves, sometimes that makes it more difficult to leave and to go somewhere else to tell someone they've never met. Um, I think, too, you know, Satan plays a big part in um, making you believe the lies of, you know, things you're missing out on by leaving them or, you know, hey, if you were here during this time, it might have, you know, turned out differently. Um, And so sometimes you have to really um, make sure that you're not believing those lies and that you're not thinking that if you had stayed, things would have turned out differently. Um, but there's just a lot of trust in the Lord. You know, our, our God is good. And when he calls you to do something and you obey, you have to trust that he knows that it's best for you. He knows who your family is. He knows who your friends are. He knows their needs. He loves them as much as you do. And you just have to trust in that. Okay, on that same line, the number one question on our panel right here coming in um, says, um, uh, how do you justify moving across the world to evangelize strangers when your own family members have never heard of Christ and haven't surrendered their lives to him? Well, I mean, I would start by saying, uh, yeah, that's right. You should have shared Christ with your family members repeatedly over the mm-hmm. course of your life. We should have. Um, but uh, if the question is, and so there's a really good point there that we should be, why would we think that we're going to be effective gospel sharers in another country if we never share the gospel here? Mm. The mission field is not magical. It's not like you get sure. over, like you were saying, you get over there and you become a spiritual uh, superhero. And so we have to start now with what we're going to do there. A, simil- a related question, but not exactly the same question that was asked here, that often is asked is, why should any of us go since we haven't won our own nation to Christ? Mm. And I would say that people in the United States of America, as much need as there is here, and I'm staying here because sure. I feel called to minister here, as much need as there is here, there's not nearly as much need. Mm from one way of looking at things as there are in other countries. I mean, uh, it might be that someone hasn't heard the gospel clearly presented to them here, but there are plenty of opportunities. You go to some people groups, and they have zero chance of ever hearing the gospel, ever. They don't know any Christians. They've never seen a church. They've never held a Bible. They wouldn't know how to access a Bible if if they could. Right. Yeah, I mean, the Great Commission calls us to make disciples of all nations. And our nation is being discipled, and it's tough. In our experience, and Leslie and I have personal experience of people in our own families who need to know the Lord. And uh, what we've learned is sometimes our decision to go overseas has been a witness to them. Um, and sometimes it allows others to, to present the gospel as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, but I think it's a serious concern. I mean, as you look yeah, at the needs around us and, and stuff like that. Now, here's I, another one. This is, this is good. Well, let's, let's add a little bit of humor in here. What's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Forty-four people want to know, Dr. Ashford, the weirdest thing you've ever eaten. Well, I mean, there's several things in there in a tie, like a three- or four-way tie. There was the first week I got in country, and for breakfast, here's what I didn't realize. 
So, you know, where I'm from, you know, if somebody serves you food, you eat all of it. You right. clean the plate, as they say, where I come from. And that's a way of thanking the host for the meal. But there, and I didn't know this, there it means, why didn't you give me more food? I'm still hungry. So I was on like plate number four at 6.30 in the morning <laughs> at this guy's house. And man, I was about to die. I'm not a big breakfast eater. And when I finally, my, the, the guy whose mom was fixing food for us finally realized that I didn't know what I was doing. And he asked me, man, dude, you must be really hungry. I was like, no, I'm not hungry. Anyway, the last thing she brought me was fish jello. It was a congealed fat with fish in it. For breakfast. Yeah. Nice. Told her I was allergic. Allergic. Then, uh, <laughs> I got served. Uh, they told me, got a couple more. They uh, told me, they said, Bruce, you have to try our kumis. It is a lot like American milkshake. So, and it was like American milkshake in that it was white. <laughs> uh, but what it actually was was fermented mare's milk. So a Central Asian entrepreneur had decided to milk a horse one day. Milk a horse. And then uh, let it ferment and rot and yeah. then decided to sell it as a delicacy. So, I mean, there's that. There's that. I've got more, too. I mean, what about That's you guys? probably enough. <laughs> For now, Leslie, what about you? No, you need to share. What's uh? You've eaten more weird things. I put things <laughs> on his plate all the time. Yeah, I well, learned tricks. You know, you put it in the plant or put it in your <laughs> pocket or, you know, I learned all kind of things that kind of helped me from, from having from to having learn. to eat weird stuff. That's a good thing. If you go overseas and you're married, we'll talk in just a minute about going overseas, not married, and stuff like that. When you're married, you always get somebody else to push the nasty food on their plate. <laughs> And so Leslie has spent years doing that. I mean, we've eaten yep. insides of fish, fish yep. heads, yep. Um, you know, eyeballs. Um, I just kind of have a motto that I'll eat anything second yep. because I've been around enough people to watch them play games with you. This is our favorite food. And you realize nobody's ever eaten that. They just know that you're a weird American, right? You're, yeah, that's right. That you'll eat it. So, so another question that we want to, uh, want to get at here um, says, how would you, and this is, this is much more serious. So how would you advise a couple... And we've all been here. So that's why I want to ask this question. This is the top question. 95 people in here want to ask to answer this question. Hmm. How would you advise a couple uh, to respond or to move ahead when one of them feels called to missions and the other one either doesn't feel called or isn't ready yet? Hmm. We've all been here, right? Less than a you and I were here in our own lives. I'll never forget the night I came home and we were sitting in the bed and I said, hey, I think God's calling us to missions, and we have a meeting tomorrow with the International Mission Board. And you said, have you lost your mind? So how, how would you advise a, a couple like that? Can I throw it back sure. to you since you're direct in the center? Yeah. I want to hear what, uh, what you would say. Um, so I think, first of all, we, we have to understand that God would never call you to leave your spouse. Mm -hmm. And he knows that any call on your life must include your spouse. In fact, when Leslie and I were very at the beginning of our missionary journey, and she wasn't ready to go overseas. I mean, man, we, we had two little kids. We mm -hmm. had a house on a golf course. We were living in a small town in Alabama. Um, Leslie was a, had never flown on an airplane. Uh, she'll tell you she didn't eat a cheeseburger until she was 16 years old. Why would you put cheese on top? So there's all this stuff that didn't really you know, push us forward. So when I came and said, I think God's calling us overseas because I'd been on a mission trip. I'd been several overseas countries. She'd never been anywhere like that. So I'd had some experiences she'd never had. And I just began to pray. And I said, God, if you call me, you have to call her. I'm not leaving her. You don't want me to leave her. And 
So we just really made it a matter of, of prayer. And the other thing I did is I committed, and I tell students in, in our office to commit, you never should pressure your spouse to feel called to missions. You know, I think it's a similar question. When a, the, the call to ministry has an internal test and an external test, mm-hmm. and a lot of people tend to rely only on the internal test. Do I feel called to ministry? Mm-hmm. And so that is very important, you know, mm-hmm. to ask, do I think God is calling me to ministry? But the external test is important. You know, if your pastor says, listen, bro, you're pretty spiritually immature. I don't know if you've stepped back and taken a look at yourself, but you're not ready to go overseas. Right. If your pastor says that, it's probably not time to go. Right. If, if your wife says, you know, I don't think we're prepared as a couple to go, and I'm not prepared, then you're probably not prepared to go. On, on the flip side, um, you know, there used to be a day when churches would come to their people and say, we think you are called right. to go overseas for us. Now, Americans don't know what to do with that because we're individualists and we want to make our own decisions. We champion that. It's our God even sometimes, individual liberty. But uh, the external and the internal call, I think, are important. Yeah. Leslie, what do you think? You've advised ladies who maybe felt I agree. I see it a lot. Um, And I think, you know, prayer is a huge part of that. Um, For the one that's um, being called and waiting on the other person, they just need to spend a lot of time in prayer. And to let the Lord move um, the other person's heart um, to get them to where they need to be in order to hear the call and to be able to be able to respond to that. Um, I know for me, you know, when he came to me, I was a little bit shocked and kind of came out of the blue and I just didn't really know what to do with it. But the Lord was already ordering our steps and that included the steps that I needed to take. I was studying the life and ministry of Paul at the time in my own personal quiet time with him. There were people that the Lord was bringing into our life that were in the same pursuit of preparing themselves for a mission that all of a sudden we kept running into everywhere we went to. Um, Scott was a pastor at the time and we went to the state convention meeting and the whole emphasis of the entire weekend was missions. And so the Lord just kept... Mm -hmm preparing me and showing me in all different avenues um, how he was trying to get my attention and stir my heart. And so, you know, I try to tell, especially when it's the husband, that you just got to be patient. You got to trust the Lord in it. And you can't push it. Um, You can't put that stress um, on your marriage, on your relationship. It will only make it worse. But I want to talk a little bit about what um, Dr. Asher said about you know, having input from other people. Because I see this a lot, especially when couples are, or individuals are in the process of going overseas. And maybe they're delayed. Maybe they don't get medical clearance or uh, if their schooling is attached to it, they have some kind of setback or financially they're not prepared and can't go. Whatever the setback may be. I see so many couples and singles so disappointed, so frustrated, so impatient. And they want to blame all of these things, and they don't think about, what is it that God needs to do with me in what area that hasn't been done that needs to be done before I go? Mm. Why is it that he's leaving here, me here for right now? Mm. You know, we need, to, we need to not only look for godly counsel from people we know, we need godly counsel from people who know us. Mm. They need to know you personally your strengths, your weaknesses, your walk with the Lord, all of those things. I think so many times when people are looking for that godly counsel, they go to people that know nothing about them. Hmm. 
And you need to be really careful about that. Yeah. I, you know, can I mention something? Yeah. And one of the problem is that in the United States, it's easy for us to join a church and never be meaningfully involved. Mm. We join a church just like we choose a grocery store, right. and we're in and out of the grocery store, and we're gone. And if that's the case, then you're not going to have people who can really and truly help you evaluate things spiritually yeah. unless you've been meaningfully involved in, yeah. in your church. Yeah, that's good. I want to stop right here and ask the guys in the back if you would... Put the next poll on Slido, and we'll give you guys a chance to look at that. We're gonna, I want to do some rapid-fire questions and give them a chance to answer a poll that deals with what the majority of people here feel like maybe God's calling them to do. And then we come back together. I want us to talk just a minute about um, how, maybe how do we discern calling. So let me just okay. rifle through a few questions here. Okay. And uh, so let's quickly answer, then we're going to come to the poll. Okay. okay. So one of the questions is, what's the funniest thing that you've ever done overseas in a foreign country? Like on accident. Like the mistake you made. Like the time you went to the naked banya. Should I tell the banya story? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> Most of my stories are borderline. <laughs> um, you know, so that, what's the question again? The, the funniest thing we ever did? Yeah. Well, let's start with things that are less funny, but definitely appropriate in a public setting. Okay. Uh, so it was like 40 below zero sometimes in the winter where I served. And one of the things you could do that I did when I was 24, and it was mostly five-year-olds that were doing it, but I did it, is you could take a cup of coffee, right? And the only coffee they had was Nescafe Instant, like ground powder, and you would stir it up. But you could take it outside completely cold, and you could throw the coffee up in the air, and it would freeze instantly. And the only thing that would hit the ground would be ice hmm. and uh, coffee grounds. And that was fun. Yeah. Um, told the food stories. Uh, do you ever have any language problems, Dr. Ashford? You talked about... All, all the time. I want to tell the Banya story, but maybe I shouldn't. Well, you can't tell it quickly. <laughs> Leslie, what about you? Any funny yep. stories, any things you made mistakes with or something silly that happened? They whip you in Banyas. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I guess one of my language faux pas was one day I was at a bus stop talking to somebody, and she was curious as to why I was there and studying the language and how long I was going to stay. And in German... The word for divorce and to decide sound very similar. So in telling her my story about knowing that we would definitely be there for three years and then decide whether or not we would continue or to go somewhere else, I told her after three years I was going to divorce and, and move on. So, um, but we didn't. That was embarrassing. Um, and, then, and then one time... Scott was traveling, and I was on the bus with my children, and it was a bus driver that we had on a regular basis um, at our stop, and I don't remember, I just remember in trying to explain that he was out of town or something, that I, it, it made it sound inappropriate that I was telling him that my hey, husband my was out of gone. town, uh, <laughs> and didn't realize it until later, um, so. I heard one of my buddies, um, there in Central Asia was really proud of his language learning ability. I never was yeah. very good at language learning, but uh, very early on in the first couple of weeks, he could already speak sentences pretty well, and we had to go and buy a new toilet. And uh, so we went out to the outdoor market. You bought everything outdoors, and I just remember he walked up and he said, I would like to buy a toilet. And it felt very weird and awkward, and then we found out later he had said, I would like to eat a toilet. And they were like, okay, thanks for letting us know. I think the weirdest situation was um, we had Iranians meeting in our home for house church for a while, 
And a lot of them didn't speak English and their German wasn't very good. And so communicating was difficult. And one of our members' mothers was visiting. And so she knew no English, no German. She comes into the house and we had a cat at the time. And I remember, oh no, you know, some of them think this is unclean. I had taken the cat upstairs and shut it in a door, but I forgot the litter box, right? And so I'm trying to inconspicuously get this litter box and take care of it. And it was just about the time food was getting put on the table and the grandmother is coming to me and she's trying to take this litter box from me. And I'm trying to (laughs) make sure she doesn't take the litter box from me. It was very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Let me fire off some quick questions here. Ready? Here we go. Let's click some of these off. What would you say... Dr. Ashford, can you answer this one quickly? I know you have an opinion about this, but 116 people in the audience want to know, what do you say about people who are um, expressing frustration or they're against refugees coming into America from a missionary perspective? Give us a really, really quick answer to that. You know, I think hopefully the one thing we can all agree upon, no matter what the stance is on immigration, is that for immigrants who are already here in the nation, we need to love them and take care of them. Americans are not a hospitable people. Americans are offended when I say that, but Americans are known worldwide as people who are not hospitable. And I don't mean our borders not being hospitable. I mean that most immigrants who come into our country never are invited into an American home. Mm -hmm. And that is not the experience overseas. Every time I go on a mission trip anywhere in the world, Asia, North Africa, South Africa, uh, I mean, you name it. All you have to do is show up in town and you get invited into people's homes. They take care of you. They're hospitable. Americans are a deeply and profoundly inhospitable people. And we need to learn to be hospitable. So I would, I would start with that. Yeah. Here's another question. Either one of you can answer it. I'll pitch in if you, if you want me to. What do you say to students who really feel a call to be a missionary, but they're struggling with school debt and it takes them years to pay their school debt off? You know, I had a lot of debt, college debt, and it took me until I was uh, about 30 years old, you have some debt that's structured in such a way that if you, that, that they'll allow you to go ahead and uh, delay it a little bit. But um, there's several things, there's several ways I've seen the Lord provide for people. Uh, one is that uh, you can do it something like a GoFundMe or mm-hmm. a Kickstarter or something like that or some other way of raising money. There are a lot of people who would like to help you take care of your debt. Um, and so that's one thing. And then the second thing is you can live wisely while you're on the field. Yeah. And you can save money and you can pay it off that way. If your debt is too heavy, if it's just really top heavy, then work really hard and trust that the Lord will help you pay that off and use that time wisely to prepare for when you can go. Yeah, that's good. Leslie, how about this question real quick? I know that this would be one that we, you and I can answer together. It says, my parents discourage me from going overseas because they say it's not safe. Um, how can I communicate uh, in a way about this safety issue that would help either help my parents be more supportive or probably better than that. How do we live in an unsafe world? I mean, just a, just a quick story. I mean, Leslie and I were, we were overseas during 9-11. Uh, after September 11th, when the airplanes flew into the Pentagon and after the airplanes flew into uh, the, the World Trade Center, our children went to school underneath Army tanks for about four or five months. So literally, the tanks would cross the Garrett. Kids would walk under an armed guard to get into their school every day for five or six months. But how, how would you deal with a safety issue when it comes to being on the field? What do you say to your parents? It's difficult because you have to be gracious and know that they just love you and they want the best for you and they're, they're worried and concerned. And let's face it, if you watch the news for more than 10 minutes a day, 
you're consumed with the fear of nobody's safe anywhere. Um, it's constant. Um, I used to have to talk to my mom about setting healthy boundaries about watching the news and how often mm. and what stations, um, just because I can remember when we moved from Europe to Central Asia, my mother knew when a bomb went off in my city before I did. She would contact me and say, hey, I saw that a bomb went off in the city. Are you guys okay? And half the time, I wasn't even aware of it because it wasn't anywhere near where we lived. Um, and so I think sometimes just helping them see a healthy way to look at how they receive the news that they're getting and how they respond to that, but also being gracious enough to know, I know this is coming out of love and care, even though it's getting on my nerves or <laughs> it's causing me to be more stressed out or maybe concerned. Um, but, you know, one of the things that has really been evident to me in the last several years in working with couples who are overseas or preparing for overseas is I really think a lot of us live so much out of a sense of fear rather than faith. And so it's hard when people um, aren't believers to expect that out of them because I find that a lot of believers struggle with unbelief and fear mm. ruling their faith when it comes to issues of safety, especially when you have children. Mm. Yeah, that's good. So we want to do the show the poll up here real quick. So let's just see what, what people have said. Um, and the question that a lot of people are asking, uh, we see that almost half the people believe God's call on their life involves faithful Christians in secular employment. Uh, and you have the other uh, breakdown here of a quarter and a quarter and then six percent. So as we see sort of where the majority of, uh, of the folks are, there are two questions that are, they're not at the top but because they're split, but this is really how do you know where God's calling you? How do you know if God is calling you overseas? Um, how do you know specifically where you can go? These questions kind of stagger down the list and these are very hard questions. I mean, I regularly have to talk with with people about, you know, how do I know if God's calling me? How do I know where God is calling me? Uh, I know I've got answers to that question. I'm curious, how, how, how do you guys answer? How have you answered them over the years? That's a complex and multifaceted question. Let's just jump in and, and try to hit it. I've mentioned a couple of things. First is internal and external. For you to have a sense of uh, praying that the Lord will show you what he wants you to do, but to ask other people who know you and who, who know ministry needs to advise you on what the Lord would le lead you to do. Um, second, I think God usually, not always, but usually calls you along the line of your giftings. So look at what your giftings are. Uh, sometimes he doesn't, like uh, in terms of Moses. I'm not talking spiritual giftings. Sure. I just mean uh, abilities. He actually called Moses to be a mouthpiece for God when Moses stuttered and was mm -hmm. unsure of himself and couldn't talk in public. Sure. So sometimes God right. does that, but usually calls along uh, the line of giftings. And then third, I would say, I think it's a good general rule not to sit back and wait for a miraculous manifestation for God's will. Yeah. That happened every once in a while in the Bible, but if you divide it out, it happened about once every 450 yeah. years yeah. that God guided someone that way. Yeah. So usually he doesn't. Yeah, we you probably won't live that long. Yeah, that's right. Probably not. Yeah, if it happens to one of us, the rest of us aren't <laughs> going to experience it. Neither will our kids or yeah. drink. You know, I, was, I, I, I like what you said here. What I, what I have, have said is what opportunities do you have? Yeah. You know, Brianna's opportunity with, uh, that she talked about was because the opportunity showed up in, in front of her. Mm -hmm. So you respond to what's there as opposed to what's not there. That's one way you can know about calling. So what would you say? How do you know where God's calling you? How do you know if God's calling you overseas or to any number of, of, of ministry platforms? You know, we've got to be in the Word. 
You have got to be in God's word, and you've got to be spending time with him in prayer. That's how we know him. That's how we know how he speaks to us. That's how we hear him. That's how we hear him with clarity. Um, So those are very important. You've got to be in his word on a regular basis, and you've got to be in prayer. You've got to learn how to discern his will, and we discern his will by knowing him, knowing things about him, knowing his characteristics, and being able to hear from him. Um, I think sometimes people get confused. You know, they go to something at church or to an event like this Go Conference, and they, you know, get all stirred up and think, oh, I'm going to go do this, and they don't take the time to really uh, pray through it and, and seek out God's direction, what that might mean. Um, I think, you know, especially if you're leaning towards a call to missions, one of the things I always tell people is pick up some missionary biographies. Start reading about missionaries. Start uh, looking into what kind of um, lives they led and, and the things that um, it entailed for them to Um, endure um, the things that they had to endure for the sake of the gospel. Um, You know, I I find a lot of times, you know, it's it's one thing to look at the things that you desire for yourself and you think, oh, that would be cool to do, or I would really like to do that. But um, to really like be seeking, no, what does the Lord have for me? What is he asking of me Um, so that you can respond to that? Um, And like he said, you're going to know that by opportunities that he's putting in front of you. Um, You're going to know that by godly counsel from people who know you, who can speak into whether or not you need more preparation for whatever you're preparing for or what you think that you want to step into. But at the end of the day, you're going to get to a point where you're going to have to step step out on faith. Um, You know, like he said, very few of us are going to get that miraculous <laughs> sign from the Lord um, that we know exactly what to do, exactly where to go, exactly what, what, what path to take. And so at some point, you're just going to have to step out on faith. Yeah, most decisions we ever make, you know, we're almost certain this is what God wants us to do. Yeah. And then after we've done it for a while, we turn around and look back and we say, God led me in this direction. You know, it's hard to say that at the yeah. very beginning. So let's, let's shift a little bit of attention overseas. What's life like overseas? We're talking about getting over there. It's a couple of questions. Let's kind of fire these off really quickly. Uh, so the first question on here, so 72 people want to know, uh, what type of shampoo does Bruce Ashford use? <laughs> I don't even, don't even know how to answer that. Not much. It's right here, man. Not, not much, much shampoo. shampoo. Yeah, not much, not much okay. is my answer. Okay, that's not much. Sorry about that. That's just, so, so the other question is, how do we, how do we share the gospel okay. as wealthy Westerners mm. In a third world context, how do we share the gospel in a context where people may believe Christians are oppressive or believe that Christians are, are somehow morally unsound? Uh, yeah, so I mean, that's a, that's a big question. Um, so there's two sort of aspects of that that I can see. One is the morally unsound and the other is a sort of Western privilege. Mm-hmm. So in terms of morals, you need to know that when you take the gospel overseas now, you have the deck stacked against you in many countries because you're an American. And what I mean is this, that most of the pornography, most of the hardcore pornography that is pumped into their country by satellite is made by Americans, uh, distributed by Americans, uh, just uh, 
So we export immorality, just our TV shows and our movies. And so it lowers, in their mind, they view America as a Christian country and that whatever is exported from America is Christian. And so that's going to be a difficult one for you to, uh, to negotiate. Then there's the Western privilege thing. Man, you people are wealthy. Of course you're happy. You know, you say that you're happy in the gospel. And so I just think the posture we take there is to show them that we're beggars. Yeah. We, we may have money, but with, when it comes to the gospel, we're beggars. Sure. We have every bit the need that they have. So we have a lot of questions as well about um, raising families overseas, children, being married. How do you go overseas as a couple? Bruce, we got a couple questions about being single. You were single when you lived overseas. So how would you kind of address um, healthy family, healthy singleness overseas? We don't have about 10 minutes left, so let's just kind of quickly start with uh, address some of these. Um, so I think with family... I think one of the struggles I see between husbands and wives overseas is trying to figure out how much of ministry you do together and separately. Um, and again, I hate to say this over again, but there's no set formula. We're all different. God has created us differently. He has gifted us dif- differently. He's given us different desires and passions. Um, we are all called to share his word and to share the gospel but at the same time, how that plays out may look different at different seasons of your life. And so I think that's one of the hardest things for couples to figure out how to make that work. Um, one of the things I always tell couples is you've got to keep the communication constantly going and open so that you're regular meet, regularly meeting with your spouse and having conversations about how are you doing? What is the Lord teaching you? Do you feel like you're having the opportunities that you feel like the Lord is asking you to, to do in order to have relationships with people outside the home. Um, you know, sometimes the husbands get so excited about their job and they go out there and they just, they're gung-ho and they do language and they're out meeting people and they're uh, busy doing what their team leader said and doing all these things and they just forget that, you know what, I've got to take a couple of days here and there or afternoons or mornings and I've got to do some things that normally are my wife's responsibility so that she has the opportunity to get out and have relationships with people to learn the language to do the things that are going to allow her to be successful um, and so you've got to continue those conversations because like I said different phases of life are it's going to look ministry is going to look differently um, and so there's going to be things that you do as an, an entire family. I can remember times that our kids were with us um, going door to door, mailing, uh, sticking uh, Bibles of different languages in, in mailboxes where we found a concentrated area of a certain people group and just walking for hours with our kids and times that we would go to different refugee camps and do ministries with uh, volunteer groups overseas and we would take our children with us um, visiting homes our children were always with us um, and so there are going to be times where the entire family is involved but the, but like I said there's there's times where the husband is out alone doing ministry there should be times where the wife is out alone doing ministry and so it's just the the idea of we've got to keep the conversation going yeah, we're a team in this thing so yep. Bruce we think singleness overseas some may even ask the question is it even likely that you'll meet a spouse as a missionary yeah, so singleness overseas, there's some great advantages and some great disadvantages. Let me start with disadvantages. One of the disadvantages of being single is that you don't have a life partner to help you see yourself in perspective. Mm. 
to help you see your character flaws, somebody who's sympathetically sort of from the inside can help you see yourself in the right way. And if you don't have that when you're single, you need to make sure that you get that from your team and team leader and so forth, that they can help you see yourself, coach you, you know, and so forth. Um, uh, you know, an advantage, or actually, let me mention another disadvantage. So loneliness for single people. And uh, for guys, at least, a lot of times loneliness brings with it uh, physical and sexual dimensions. Um, They say, you know, I think it's, it's true that when you don't have anything else to do or anything that you have to think about, what your mind goes to in that moment will sort of make you who you are Hmm. if you repeat that over time. And so what I had to do as a single guy is I loaded up, I brought 200 books with me, and I just (laughs) loaded up on good stuff to fill my mind with. And uh, it was really good for me. And this brings me to one of the advantages. If you're single, you've got 60 to 80 hours a week that you can throw into the ministry work. And so... I mean, I had Bible studies every night of the week. I was writing new Bible studies. I had plenty of time. And I was able actually to help some of the couples and families do some things that they would have had to do so that they could have their, their uh, family life. Yes, you might meet somebody you marry yeah. to answer the yeah. question that somebody would ask. Sure. It's, it's interesting that missionaries love to marry other missionaries. There's an understanding there mm-hmm. of having lived cross-culturally and dealt with those things. And it's famous how often they get together. And, you know, sometimes every once in a while you marry uh, someone you meet overseas Absolutely, who's yeah. not right. a missionary. But you always want to marry a believer, the national yeah, believer. That's right. Nas- that's right. That's right. Yeah. We've, seen the, we've seen the others. Well, this is good. Bruce, there's 170-something people that would like to hear your Banya story. I can tell it appropriately. So, but I mean, unfortunately, we've only got four and a half minutes. So why right, don't you so quickly tell, tell quickly. your Banya story? You know, I just have to – it won't be as colorful as normal. But uh, so I, the guys came to me, and they said, listen – Bruce, you have to go to the, Amer- to the Russian banya. It is very, very nice. It's a lot like an American sauna. And it was um, a lot like an American sauna, and then it was a square room with a lot of heat. Um, but then where it was different is that they would take birch branches and whip each other. And I thought that was different. <laughs> said, bro, if we were doing this in America, they would think something different, you know. And that was odd. I never went back ever, ever no. again. Um, what do you wear to Banya? Uh, <laughs> can't answer it. I mean, really, not, yeah, nothing. Less than just, you just sauna, be, right? yeah. yeah. And they would also, it's interesting, so when you're in a cold country, you love warmth, right? So they had hot drinks, hot soups. The Banya had, the Banya had a lot of steam. Um, they threw vodka onto a barrel of uh, coal, hot coals, and that's what made the steam. Yeah. But then sometimes they would run outside and roll around in the snow <laughs> for the sensation of it to get cold and then come back in again. And that was different. We'd never done that in, in, uh, in Sampson County. You never did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so before we quit, let's, let's just really quickly, we can all three sort of give a, a, a really quick answer okay. to this. Um, what is the advantage to living overseas, to being a missionary? I mean, we talked about the difficulties, the struggles, the complexity of it. But all three of us have made our bones in the last 20 yep. years, both living overseas and getting as many people overseas or getting the What's the, why is it a good thing? Leslie, what do you think? You know, when I first came back and people would ask me, you know, what was one thing that I really not even just enjoyed about living overseas, but that was kind of my favorite takeaway. Um, and most of the time my answer was, I loved that my children, because of the ages they were when we went, were able to have a completely different worldview. Um, And it just, 
it really made the difference in how they viewed people in the world and um, it helped them love people, I think, um, better than I ever could have loved before I had that experience. And um, I've seen, even since we've been back, how that has really radically changed um, their hearts and the way they respond to people and the lives of people around them who are different from them. Um, One of the things that I tried very hard as a parent and even teach this in the Preparing for Missions course here um, when I teach the wives is, you know, your children get cues from you. And so, you know, if you're talking about how stupid and ridiculous the people are and, you know, you don't show the compassion and the love and the patience for those that you're getting to know um, that you don't know a whole lot about, um, they're going to pick up on that. And so I think the biggest thing was just that my children walked away with a worldview that was godly. Mm. That's good. Mm. Bruce, what do you think? What's the advantage of living overseas? So I'm going to just actually turn toward the audience now and just say, man, it was amazing. Uh, and it was very difficult, but it was amazing, and there is nothing like it. And uh, if I had to try to sum it up v- very quickly, I would list several things. I had to overcome some fears and insecurities. Mm. And I had to humble myself and be willing to look like a fool learning a language. I couldn't even talk as well as their toddlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to overcome some, some uh, be, be willing to meet some real challenges like uh, threats to my well-being or my security. Um, I got to see victories of the gospel. I got to see the Lord Christ work in the lives of uh, Muslim and atheists mm-hmm. and bring them to a saving knowledge of him. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, I, and here... And it helped me come back to the United States because it taught me how to really listen attentively to other people to see how it is they think and then to enter sympathetically into their world and try to interface the gospel with it. Whereas in the United States often, for whatever reason, because it's our home context, it's harder for us to humble ourselves. When someone differs from us, say politically, we want to yell at them and insult them and mock them and assign the worst motives to them. And what a, being a missionary teaches you to do is never do that. Right. Yeah. Enter in. Yeah. I, you know, I tell people, one of the greatest things that I've, I've learned about being overseas was just how big God is. And that sounds really dramatic. But what you realize is that, that the Lord God is the God of the universe. And mm-hmm. he still does miracles. And, and mm-hmm. the, the Bible is still real. It's still fresh. In a way that I would have never experienced had I not taken the risk and stepped out on faith and taken my wife, my family, mm-hmm. sold a house moved overseas, chosen to plant my life in a place. The, the changes are something that you can never explain. In fact, I tell my students all the time, and we'll close with, with, with this sentence, if you go overseas, you will forever be weird to people who've never done it, but yeah. it's a cool kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah? Yes. Strange. Strange. Weird. Odd. Dr. Asher, why don't you pray for us and okay. uh, pray for uh, our, our audience okay. here who are contemplating God's call on their mm-hmm. life. The whole weekend has been about go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're challenging people to ask the Lord uh, mm-hmm. to send them somewhere. So would you okay. just pray and yeah. ask God's blessing sure. and, and wisdom? Let's pray together. Father, we approach your throne in the name of your son, Jesus. Uh, without him, we would have no claim on you. But because of him and through his shed blood on the cross and his resurrection... We do have a claim on you, and so, as Hebrews says, we come boldly before your throne with confidence. 
And we begin by thanking you that you called us to salvation and that you called us here to this conference. And we pray that you will work in and through this conference and what we've heard to guide and direct our footsteps, even in ways that we don't know, that we we don't understand that you're working in and through it right now, that you will surely and truly guide our footsteps. Pray for every man and woman in this room. Father, you will guide them, guide us into your best will uh, uh, for us right now. And that you, by means of your spirit, empower us and enable us to respond positively to what it is that you're calling us to. And that you enable us and equip us as you enabled and equipped the Son of God during his earthly ministry. That you enable and equip us to do whatever it is you've called us to do. Father, we pray this with confidence, not in ourselves, but in your Son. And so we pray in his name and in the the enabling power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen.